Praise God. Welcome this morning. Um, as we celebrate the life of a really good friend, on behalf of the family, I want to thank you for being here. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Yet I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died, and behold, I am alive evermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you shall live also. Friends, we're gathered here this morning for two reasons. First, we gather to celebrate the life of Picton Gregory Evans. He lived a fantastic life, and that life was a gift from God. Every single breath was a measure of God's grace towards Greg, and Greg knew that. I'm, I'm thankful personally to have known him. And my guess is that, that so are you. So with good reason, we celebrate Greg's life with great joy today. And the second reason that we gather today is to find hope in the face of death. We come with our grief. We acknowledge our loss is real. We gather to be reminded that Jesus did defeat death. We gather together to find courage and comfort in the void that is left behind. We gather together to be reminded that we will be together again with Greg and with all the saints in the resurrection. So may God grant you grace that in pain you might find comfort and that in sorrow you may find hope and that in death you may again discover the resurrection. Let's pray this morning. Our Father God, your love never ends. When all us fails, you are still God. We pray to you for one another in our hour of need and for all who mourn with us today. To those who doubt, give light, God. To those who are weak, give strength. To all who have sinned, mercy. To all who sorrow, your peace. Keep true in us the love with which we hold one another. In all our ways, we trust you. Give to us now your grace that as we shrink before the mystery of death, we may see the light of eternity. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take a moment and enjoy something that Greg very much enjoyed, and that is the ministry of music. Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel, strength and consolation.
Our Old Testament reading today is a classic, and it is one that never grows old. That is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He make me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I want to invite Adrian to come up now and share a little bit. Good morning, all. Um, so I've kind of been struggling over the last week to figure out how to write this eulogy for my dad. Um, I've come to realize he was a rather complicated man. He was a lot of different things to a lot of different people, kind of depending on when you knew him. Um, and also, yeah, in this time of kind of COVID and, you know, the limitations we have and kind of uniqueness of our family, um, as I'm sure all of you know, my Dad's family is all overseas, uh, in England and in Africa, and so this is being streamed to them. And so it's not just us here that are celebrating Dad, but people around the globe as well. So it's interesting as I think about my dad, because he was a very complex man. Um, And as such, my memories of him are at times of two very different people, maybe even three different people. I guess you can say that I believe of my experience with my dad was that he was always, he kind of evolved over time, depending on what phase of his life he was in. There was the time when he was in England, and hopefully you all kind of got a feel for that with his big shaggy hair and his crazy clothes and all that when he was in England before he came to America. His time as a father to me and Tim, um, and growing up with us here in the States, and then his time as a grandfather. That was certainly a change. And I've only recently come to really think about the fact that my dad lived for near to 30 years in England before he came here. Um, That's like four-tenths of his life that I've never really thought too greatly about. I've always just known him as being here in America. Um, And so actually, uh, after I'm done here, my daughter, uh, Brooklyn, is going to come up and read another eulogy from my dad's sister, Liz. Um, a little bit about him before he came here, before I knew him. So my father did come to America because he wanted to, uh, he didn't believe that he could make a good living uh, where he was. 
as a ceramic engineer in Stoke-on-Trent. He knew that he needed a good job to marry my mom, to provide for her. And so when opportunity knocked and his boss at the factory he worked at said, hey, I need some guys to go to America, dad was like, yeah, I'll go. All right, let's do an adventure. Um, I'm sure he got his wandering soul from his experiences in life uh, with his parents who went and worked in Africa, and then he went with them. Uh, He would visit them in Nigeria, and he would tell me about just seeing the bazaar and the smells and just what it was like to be in a different country. And he always wanted to travel. Uh, But, of course, life had a different plan for him. So, And it's interesting to think that most people, I think, would consider my father to have been a success professionally in his career. And it's interesting that I know when I would speak of him about that, he actually considered his career to be a bit of a failure. And that may surprise you. But it wasn't that he saw himself as failing in his career. He saw the career itself as being one that he kind of wished he wouldn't have gotten into. And I'll explain why. So, where he grew up in Stoke-on-Trent, uh, it's famous for its potteries. They've, uh, I think some would argue that they make the best pottery in the world um, because they've been at it since about the 17th century. And the city itself uh, and the whole region kind of revolved around that profession. Um, He told me about when he was younger and all the factories, they ran off coal when he was young. And the city itself would be covered in soot. Everything was black, Uh, even the people. By the time he got home, you were covered in it. And he said that his life was hard. His parents didn't have a lot of money. Um, He uh, isn't in here, but he told me that when growing up, one of his, like, favorite meals, like, he knew it was a special night, was when his mother would roast an onion in the oven with cheese on top. That was a special meal because they just didn't have a lot of money, right? And so he grew up in this area where the potteries made the best, right? It was art. It wasn't just a thing you did or that you you ate off of. It was art, right? Um, We collect Royal Dalton uh, figurines ourselves, right? Because that's what that is. And so despite the fact that it was you know, a dirty, dingy town. Uh, it was a uh, honored career there. Um, but it wasn't always hard. I know my dad said, he would tell me the story when, so when it was, everyone was burning coal, like I said, he would climb up this hill to go to a school, I think. And he'd turn around and you would be above everything, but you couldn't see anything. All you could see is smoke. You couldn't see anything at all. And then eventually they stopped burning coal. I don't know if they, I don't remember if they changed the natural gas or electricity, but he said over the course of a few weeks, every time he climbed that hill uh, to go to school, and he turned around and looked, he'd see a little more of the city, and a little more of the city. Uh, Started with the factories, and then it was the churches, then it was the houses, and eventually he could see everything, and he was just amazed by that. Um, And so this was their life. And so he went in, and he he decided that he was going to become a manager, of a factory, and so he went to school. Um, And I got the impression that he found great pride in his trade. Uh, He would talk about his fancy clothes and his blue suede shoes um, and his little fancy sports car that he drove around, right, as a young man. And, but the problem was that when he, after he came to America, uh, that pride, that value, that tradition, that pottery was a luxury, didn't hold up. Um, Because in our post-modern industrial disposable culture, 
Pottery is not seen as a luxury item. You're in art. It's something you go to Dollar Tree or Walmart, and you pick up, and you know, you use it till it's chipped, and then you go buy some more. And he worked at companies like Color Tile and Rival, making you know floor and wall tile and crock pots. Right? I mean, practical things, right? But not art. And that was until he got to Gil Pittman. Right? When he got to Gil Pittman, uh, ninety-four, I think that's right. He found the love of art again. And he was like, okay, we're staying here in Mississippi. Right? He found his calling once again. He found value in what he did. But yet, time would still catch up, and so would the culture. And even Gil Pittman would shut down and be sent off to a foreign country to be made as cheaply and uh, quickly as possible. And that hurt my dad. But it didn't break him. Because by that point in his life, he no longer found his, his own value in his career. He found his value in his family. He found pride in that. He found pride in my mom and her career. He found meaning around, he found meaning through myself, my brother, especially his grandchildren, who really, in his mind, could do no wrong. Well, most days. And he found pride in his community, in the church, right? His neighbors. And I think it was this pride in his community and that made him always willing to lend a helping hand, give sage advice, which only when asked for, and, but, and never tell you what to do. He always would tell me, now I'm not you, but if I was in your situation, this is what I would do. And he would give of himself, even when there was none to give. And I think that's what made the man that we will all miss greatly. When I was a young man, I couldn't imagine a single day of life existing without my dad. My dad, or as he was known, just about everyone I knew, Mr. Greg. He was larger than life. He was a man that commanded attention. He was a man that spoke very little. Right? When he did speak, everyone listened. I always kind of thought of him like Clint Eastwood, you know, and those like old spaghetti westerns and Dirty Harry. You know, it was very intimidating to me. He'd just give me the look. Like, oh no, what have I done? Right? Um, I was constantly getting you know, like reprimanded at the dinner table about, you know, my table etiquette. Yes, Reese, you are not the first Evans to receive the wrath of Grandpa. All right. All right. He, but even though he was so serious, he'd make random jokes, wisecracks. He made a family tradition of giving people a hard time. All right. Uh, we say in our family that if we're not giving you a hard time, it's because we don't like you. So you should appreciate that. He loved to make fun of the fact that me being in the service and our use of acronyms he liked to just make up new ones and not explain what they meant and just wait for us all to stand around and look stupidly like we had no idea what was going on. And I'd be like, dry English sense of humor. He was at larger than life, but at the same time, he was rarely the center of attention. I think actually Dad would be a bit embarrassed to know that we're having the, a service for him today. You know? he, uh, he would not want us to take time out of our lives to stop and not to not honor him, but to just give up of ourselves for him for a moment. He, he would say that we were all being silly. But everybody dies. And we shouldn't be sad. We should go on. We should keep doing what we want to do. It was as if he always knew what every situation needed of him. And he filled that role, but never more than what was required. So my dad wasn't around a lot when I was younger. 
He worked a lot. And I remember most days I would only see him at the dinner table for a brief discussion about the day's news, and then it was off to bed. I would sometimes see him on the weekends doing yard work or building things around the house. And sometimes I'd get to help, but our interactions were few. He let me be a kid, find my own path, for better or worse. And despite this limited interaction, I knew he always had my back. He wasn't what we would today call a loving man. He rarely showed emotions other than frustration. And, but there were times when his true self would shine through. So my father, for all of his British politeness and correctness, was at heart a, don't tell me what to do. I'm in a free country, and I'm an American. And I remember this night, I was about eight years old. This is like my pinnacle memory of my father. And he came to pick me and Tim up from Awana. It's like, a, if you don't know, it's like Boy Scouts, but a church. Right? And so it was through our church, which was also our school, good Southern Baptist, super strict uh, school down in Gulfport, Mississippi, called Temple Christian Academy. And like I said, he comes to pick us up on a school night. And I remember Tim saying something to my dad about uh, one of the other students, the senior or junior at the school, who'd gotten in trouble because he'd, you know, spun his wheels out in the parking lot, right? And they'd taken his car keys away from him. I think the principal, like, took the student's car keys, right? I still remember the look on my dad's face as I was sitting in the back seat of his 1978 Screaming Eagle Pontiac Trans Am. And he said, Oh, they did, did they? Well, let's see if they can take away mine. <laughs> he abruptly stopped the gas, popped the clutch, and burnt those good years a solid 50 feet as we climbed the hill out of the parking lot. It was at this moment that I realized there was more to my dad than I realized. I wanted that self-confidence. And I realized he was cool. Of course, I also may want a sports car, and one day I'll get there. I'm not there yet. But it also allowed me to see past the persona of father, right? It allowed me to realize that there was more there. It allowed me to understand that maybe there are things he liked that I should check out. So I started to kind of ask him about things. And he introduced me to real music. You see, when I was growing up, in the car, all my mom and dad ever listened to was NPR and classical music. So I did not know what 80s music was until I got to college. Just saying. And, but then, my dad introduced me to his record collection. He introduced me to Elton John, Pink Floyd, which we listened to on the way here. The Who, The Beatles, Paul Simon, you know, music, his style. I started to learn who he was. He showed me that it was okay to be yourself, to do what you want to do, and to never follow anyone blindly, and to make your own way. But you couldn't harm anybody, because my dad said, one man's freedom ends where another man's nose begins. <laughs> he guided me in life especially as once I became a husband and a father. Once again, he never imposed his thoughts or opinions on me. He just told me what he thought and told me to do what I needed to do. 
But he didn't just give me advice. He led. When life got hard, I'd call him up. He would walk me through the struggle. He would lend me money, even if they didn't have it. He would show up on my front porch with a hammer and nail, some pipe wrenches, help me fix whatever was broke. (laughs) When the Navy sent me away for a year, he gave my wife and family But he showed me what it was to lead, lead from the front. And when you're a friend and someone needs something, you show up. I do find it funny to look back and look at the stark contrasts between my dad as my father and my dad as grandpa. How could one person be two totally different people? Would have laughed at the idea that my dad actually even liked children. My brother and I did not get a pass on that one. We were loud, we were dirty, we didn't follow direction, and we were sometimes a bit more of a pain than we were worth. But I remember, I don't remember when it was in the hospital, when the first grandchild was born. I kind of remember something along the lines of him and Rachel getting in an argument about who was hugging and holding the baby for too long because they needed to share. And that's who he was. He loved his grandchildren. He loved his family. I was always second string when they were around, but that's okay because that's how it should have been. I know we all wish we could have had more time with Dad. And at times I say to myself, man, you know, you should have come home. Should have really tried to get a post closer to home. But Dad wouldn't want that. He'd have been offended. He said, nope. You go live your life. You do what you need to do for you. Because that's what I want you to do. So, he would not want any one of us in this room or around the globe feeling sad for him. Because he would say we're being selfish. Because he is right now having the best time of his life. And one day, we'll all get to join him. Now, I'm going to ask Brooklyn to come up and read a story from my dad's sister, Liz. She can't join us because she's in South Africa. And uh, there you go. Thank you. All right. It is with greatest sadness that I have come to terms with the fact that Greg has left us and has gone home with the bee with the Lord. I would have loved to have been with you today, but sadly circumstances at this uncertain time have made a visit to America from South Africa impossible. He will be so badly missed. To think that he is no longer on the end of the phone call is difficult to accept. His family in America are no doubt only too aware of the void that has been left by his passing. I wanted to share some memories as a sister As siblings, we come from the same background and so have special memories. Greg, as you probably know, was the eldest of five children. He was, as probably most eldest kids are, a confident person, full of fun, teasing his younger siblings, and above all, happy in his life. As a young adult, he was involved in a local youth club, being the superintendent. 
There I was, as a very young teen, with my big brother keeping an eye on me and my friends. What are big brothers for? I have to say, I never even remember him cramping my style at the said youth club. More praise for him for his kindness. Greg worked in a position of authority in the potteries, being head of production. I remember as a student at a local college, catching a lift home from him. My college was close to his work. He was always ready with a story of how his day had been, which usually involves some sort of hilarious moment of him dealing with workers. For some reason, I recall once or twice, Greg relating how a foot was needed to engage with a worker backside in order to get the finest results from his workforce. I would guess that this approach isn't so politically correct these days, but we are talking about the 1970s back in the day. When Greg went off to the USA, to Pennsylvania, that was a huge step in his life, of course. It was at this time when he met his lovely Pam. Off he went to be followed by only a few weeks later by Pammy, who was accompanied by his two gooseberry siblings, myself and Timothy, the youngest of my brothers. It was a lovely experience. The three of us stayed for a few weeks, and Greg, of course, was the perfect host. I remember visiting the sites of Washington with them, as well as driving to Virginia to enjoy the beach and the wonderful ocean. After returning to the UK, Pam made her arrangements to return to America, and the rest, as they say, is history. It is clear that Greg and Pam had a wonderful marriage and raised a beautiful family. It has always been a delight to see and hear on social media the sons grow up and the girl and the grandchildren arrive and grow. Greg was a devoted husband, father, and grandfather. Greg was a fun and loving person. We were to see each other again over the years. He and Pam, with his boys, Tim and Adrian, visited South Africa in the 90s, which was super. We went off to a game farm where Pam so desperately wanted to spot elephants. I so wanted to see them, but sadly, they were elusive that day. We had to be satisfied to see the giraffes, buck, zebra, lions, and so on. Every time I am at the game farm, I am reminded of the shy elephants and so wish that they would have popped out of hiding for Pam. Other times we were together as siblings, as when we were visited the UK to see our parents. On one such visit, I arrived in the UK after Greg. I traveled to Oxford from London by coach. My sister Lou and brother Tim were at the coach station to meet me. They informed me that Tim, pardon me, that Greg was in the cafe right there by the bus station and pointed to the place. In the window of the cafe sat a rather scruffy man huddled over a cup of tea who could in all kindness only can be described as a tramp. Good grief, I thought, is that really Gregory? I was shocked. As Lou and Tim realized my mistake, they howled with laughter. Greg emerged from the cafe looking, of course, smart and tidy. On hearing of the story of me, thinking that he was a tramp in the window, he gawfed. I will remember Greg for his hearty laugh. I'm certain that Pam and his family will too. I will fondly remember the different visits we all made to the UK and the happiness of meeting up with my brothers and sister. Greg was also a devoted son to his mum and dad. Mum was very proud of Greg. He delighted in relaying all the news that he talked on his weekly visits, I mean, weekly phone calls to both her and our dad. He would never miss a call. 
and I know it meant a huge amount to Mum in particular. Most importantly of all, Greg was devoted to our Lord. I remember during his early years in America, they had found the carpenter of Nazareth, as he put it. Again, I would guess that the rest is history. And so we come to realize just where Greg is now. He is with our Lord. He is at peace. I am happy to say that he is with my brother. I shall think of him often and remembrance his kindness, his devotion to his family in America, and his loud and happy laugh. With love, Liz. Thank you. Did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountain green? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pasture seen? And did the countenance Shine forth upon our clouded hills, and was Jerusalem builded here among those dark satanic mills? My poor burning cold, bring me my arrows of desire, bring me my spear, or clouds unfold, bring me my chariot of fire, I will not cease from mental flight. Or shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built Jerusalem in England's greed and pleasant Thank you, Jerry and Adrian and Brooklyn. Uh, that was incredible. Uh, Liz, um, putting that together. Um, in our, our bulletin, on the, on the cover there, we have a little text, scripture text there, um, that is often used at a time like this. And um, in it, the Apostle Paul, he says, he says I, I'm not ashamed. He says, I know whom I have believed, 
he doesn't say I know what I believed in or where or, you know, but he said I know a person. I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced, I'm absolutely assured that he is able to guard until that day. Um, and there's some texts say five different things, but some will say, what has been entrusted to me? Or um, uh, what I've entrusted to him? And part of the reason is not to worry too much about it because the, the point's the same. Um, the faith that he's given me by his grace, he has entrusted to me until that day. The faith I have in him, I'm entrusting to him until that day. And in another place he says, what Christ has authored, he will finish, he will perfect. And this faith, this thing this, that is deposited in Paul and in all believers is, is spoken of uh, well in some verses that um, I'm going to read from Paul's correspondence with the Corinthians. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then another place, Paul is talking about a time like this. We're talking about death. And he says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And then one other place he says, when he's talking about the gospel and the ultimate outcome of it, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Let's pray for just a second here. Our Heavenly Father, open our spirits to hear something that our brother Greg knew well what cannot be, and what must be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it has been my honor and, and blessing um, to know Greg and, and of course, Pam um, for a little over 12 years. Um, I do realize there is a place in the world far away where um, no one would say, hey, you have an accent to him. Um, but when you meet him here, the first thing you go think is, oh, you're not from around here, are you? And this is the land of accents. We, we, we know that. And, um, and, 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 you know, I think when he came over, uh, talking a little bit with Pam, I think the original plan when he, when he left, 
um, Stoke on Trent. His plan wasn't to stay in America. I think, he, he, as, as Adrian so well said, he had that um, that wanderlust. He wanted to, he wanted to see the world. He wanted to see Canada and Australia, and he eventually saw a lot of these things. But um, his plan was not to stay here. And yet, um, as the proverbs tell us, um, many are the plans of a man, but um, it is the purposes of the Lord ultimately that happen. And um, and so in God's providence, he stayed here. And that same providence worked, in his, worked out in his relationship with Pam. I, ironically, when he was supposed to come here, he had to wait a year. And to this day, I'm not really fully understanding it. I try to look up a little bit on it and see if I could get a grasp on it. But um, even he would could have been susceptible to the end of the draft um, of the Vietnam War. And so he, they didn't want him coming over here and having any issues there. So um, they said, look, you're just going to have to um, wait about a year. And during that year, he met Pam. And, uh, and then, uh, then the first day in that new year, January 1st, 1975, he got on the plane. He came here um, with a number of months. A couple of his uh, siblings, I think a brother and a sister, were going to come and um, visit him. And he called Pam and said, come on, be a part of that. And, and, and she certainly um, did that. And on July 4th, in 1975, he proposed to her. And uh, not long, well, six months or so afterwards, on December 26th, 1975, um, they were married. And that's, for those of you on this side of the pond, Boxing Day. Um, and according to her, that's when they opened the presents there. Uh, that's when we're starting to take the presents back to the store here. But anyway, it's different. And he was. He, he was a, a great husband. And I, Adrian, I, I don't want to repeat any of the things that Adrian and, and Liz shared um, through uh, Brooklyn. Um, you know, it, it, we know him as a, he was his diligence in his vocations. I, I, one of one of the one I knew him as is, as a, a landlord. He, they they rent properties and and just and not just simply being very um, diligent about that, but a, a number of times he would contact the church with people that had needs either financially or, or spiritually uh, to come pray with people for um, some very serious issues, and we would do that. You know, here's a part here of the Mississippi uh, chorus, and he and. He and Pam are almost evangelists for that. I mean, they would sell giveaway tickets, invite people to join it and enjoy the, 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 uh, the ministry of music with it. But uh, he loved doing that. He was a very appreciative, I would say appreciative American. Uh, he, he had incredible respect for um, his roots. He loved them. Um, uh, but he really also loved what God was able to do by him coming to this nation and the opportunities, the freedoms. He would often talk about them. And it's, I'll be, be honest, a lot of people don't talk about that in this time. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I had a, he had a great sense of humor. You fleshed it out a whole lot more. It was different. Um, my last name, Blaha, we're Czech. Um, and uh, some of you old people and who've taken history, you know the Czechs and the English, um, back about 70, 80 years ago, had a, a, a little difference over a place called the Sudetenland. Um, and so kids, ask your parents about that one day. We would always joke about that and, 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 and enjoy that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had the honor of my family actually living in England um, during my the middle teenage years and uh, a little town called Chalfont St. Peter for those that I might be streaming to that area of the world. Nobody here would care. But um, my dad was stationed over there, and we were, we were a part of that. And, and there were two things. Believe it or not, there were kind of, when you first land and you have to actually live in it, um, they were kind of difficult. And one was, believe it or not, the language. 
Um, now, obviously, it's not as bad as going to France or something like that if you didn't speak French. You can make up some of it, but it was really hard to catch all the things said. And the other was the humor. And it could be a really different humor. And we grew to absolutely um, fall in love with it. And I still, I think it's a little different now because BBC um, England, uh, PBS, and it's kind of gotten into the United States a lot more. But um, for years and years, my, people would not understand my, why, my, why my wife and I would love re-watching the public broadcasting, the English shows, the kind of humor, because they didn't get it. Um, but I liked his humor a lot. And, and I think we all did very much here. He was a blessing as a church member here. Um, he knew the Lord. Both he, we, are, we were the beneficiaries of his maturity in Christ and Pam's um, when they joined here. And he was a deacon. Um, he was an elder for a number of years. He brought lots of wisdom to the, some of the things that we had to do with. And we've been some, at our times of church and some rough times, and he helped us work very much through that. He was a choir member. And he loved to sing in our choir. He taught our Sunday school, our, our adult Sunday school. Um, and joined other men in doing that. And one of the things I didn't quite know to say, call it, but he, he was a reader. Um, we loved the voice. And when we had some, a, a Christmas special or a Christmas Eve special or an Easter thing or anything where you want somebody up here reading scriptures, if, if it worked right, we wanted him up here doing it. It was just fun to listen to. But of course, I think as Liz uh, shared there, um, he was a believer. And he was sincere. He was intentional. He cared about growing in grace. He was very conscious about his faith. He'd be first to tell you, I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. And what he believed and what he centered his life upon and his hope for the future, it's kind of seen in a few things in the text that we read this morning. And really these things make up the anchor of every believer's soul. So the first thing we read, we read this morning, it said, uh, Paul says, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of the gospel. He said, this is foremost to me. And another place is he and Peter say, look, I know I, I don't want to, I know you get tired. Basically they say like, I know you get tired of hearing this, but the gospel absolutely matters. And here's the gospel. Christ, the whom? died for our sins. Christ was buried and Christ was raised from the dead on the third day. In one sense, very simple and yet it's all about, it's an entire world of reality. Greg, somewhere along the line as all believers have, came to a conclusion. We're sinners. We're children of wrath. We are under the full and the just condemnation of a holy and righteous God. And there is no way out from that other than the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus must die for man's sins. Jesus must rise again for his, we say his justification, his being declared righteous, being made right. Jesus must do what everybody else does. Before us and after us, he must die. And yet he must do the one thing none of us can ever do. He needs to get up from it. And that is what he did. To the world, this is foolishness. 
don't know what generation you're from, but more and more we're seeing it being declared that now. But it is the wisdom of God. All of our hope, Greg's hope, was in what this one man did. Who he was and what he did. And so for Greg, like all believers, God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, him who lived perfectly, to become sin, so that in him, we, Greg, me, you, might become the righteousness of God. And so, like the Apostle Paul, I'm sure Greg would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it alone is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the first part of that anger is that gospel. The second part is something that Greg is blessed with today we have to look forward to. It's hope and death. Paul said to be absent from the body for the believer is to be present with the Lord. I think that was alluded to in some of the things already said. This is Greg's great joy today. The Bible just doesn't answer all the questions we might want to ask about the next life. And man forever has pursued means of trying to find out what's on the other side there. And in God's wisdom, we don't know that. But one thing we absolutely know, he says, we will be with Christ. How does anyone ever read the gospel stories and not go, that's the guy I want to be with forever? No tears, no hurts, fears, doubts, bad memories, any of those things. In your presence, the psalmist says, is the fullness of joy. In one place, the Apostle Paul talking about the pain of this life. And we often talk about this at times like this. And I have to share as a man who hasn't suffered great pains, I have to take Paul's word for this. But he says that the sufferings of this present time are but, but momentary light affliction not to be compared to the eternal bliss of what God has for us in the next life. But in the same way, we also need to know something else. That the highest pleasures, the greatest joys here are but momentary light shadows at best not to be compared to the eternal bliss that Christ has for us. Again, it's one of those things I'm going to say Paul was obviously more like Christ than I was. But a number of places he says it's better to be with Christ than in the body. And another place he says, I even have the choice. I can stay here and minister to you or I can go to be with Christ. I really want to go be with Christ, but I have a reason I need for your good to stay here with you. I'm not quite like that. Maybe you're not either. I'm willing to have that later, but I like what's here. But Paul wouldn't really think about it that way. Paul preferred to be with the Lord. Now, in his timing, he has reasons for all of us to be here, and this is an important time. But Paul's thought was to live as Christ, to die as gain. I think it's right in the middle of that is why Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. 
and on both ends of it, he says, so be of good courage. Because we have to believe this simply because our Lord has taught, told us this. But really, to die is gain. And Greg has gained this day. I think as others have made before, and I'm, I would apply it to Paul, but I certainly would apply it to Greg today. I don't think Greg would trade for his own personal joy and edification. I don't think he would trade one moment of where he is right now, even if you gave him the best life ever for 10,000 years here. And it's not just a platitude that goes, oh, it's happier over there. No, in Christ, it is made good over there. And thus we're told, in the midst of this kind of thing, so be of good courage. We might have grief, and we're going to miss things. He's not up there missing anything. Up there, I want to speak of it. And the third thing of this great anchor that we have. And you kind of go, well, that's really good. It's kind of like those, you know, ads on TV. But wait, there's more. It's that day. As he says, I, am a, I, I can entrust to him and he can, uh, my, my faith, and that I entrust the faith that's within me, what that's going to be revealed on that day. There's still one more thing Greg looks forward to, we all look forward to. He's a step closer to it. But we look forward, that's even going to make what he goes through, he's, he's enjoying now, still a preliminary to what's yet to come. Unless you understand why Paul says things like it's above and beyond all you can ask or think. It's the day of the resurrection. And Paul doesn't say a lot about it. Again, there's just not a lot to say because we don't have categories to deal with it. But he says it's going to be quick. It's going to be instantaneous. I don't think you're going to look out a window and see it. It's just going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. He says the dead are going to be raised. Those that come with them, Greg and probably us. I don't think it's going to happen for a long time, but someone will be here and they're going to meet together and it will be the end of all things and the beginning of all great things. And he says there's going to be a mystery here. We're all going to be changed. That is really cool. We're going to be changed. Some places, he, he, Paul kind of tries to talk about it. He says, you can't imagine it. Um, it's, don't even try to imagine what it is. But know this. Flesh and blood, it cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable must put on the imperishable. The mortal must put on immortality. And he says this. You're going to look like Christ. Somewhere out there, people are going to look at every believer and go, that looks like that person belongs to the family of Christ in all its perfections. And that's when Paul says that's when death, this horrible thing we have to deal with, is finally swallowed up in victory. Last funeral is the death of death, and then it's done. So that's the anchor of our souls. The good news that Jesus came to die for sinners. He was buried and he rose from the dead. That if we're absent from the body, as our loved one is today, we are present with the Lord. And that one day there is a great resurrection. When we are again in every way with Christ, we are joined again with a body that is transformed. And we're with each other.
as we were created to be. And so, beloved, our confession is, Greg is not ashamed. And our confession is, Picton Gregory Evans. He was born May 26, 1948. He died July 4th, 2020. He was in the body 72 years, one month, and eight days. But today, he's absent from the body. He's present with the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, you are in every way a good and gracious God. You stand in the shadow always of the terribleness of death. And yet you have entered into that horror through your son Jesus. And you defeated it. And because he rose from the dead, we rise from the dead. Father, we believe, help our unbelief. Give us the faith to see the things our brother saw, imperfect as we are. And yet we too come to a place where we're not ashamed, but we are fully able to trust your son for that day, the things that we've entrusted to him. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Guide me, O thy great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I no more. me till I want no more. Open now the crystal fountain whence the healing stream doth flow. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me on my journeys. Strong deliverer, strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield. Be thou still my strength and shield. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction Land me safe on Canaan's side Songs of praises, songs of praises I will ever give to thee I will ever give to
I often ask the question after a funeral, how do, how do you tell if we've been to a good funeral or not? You know, how, how can we, how, what tools do we have to evaluate that? Well, I, I don't know, but I, I think that if my son tearfully declares me cool, uh, I'm going to be in a good place. Like, that's what I want. I want my son to stand up and through tears say, my dad, that's when I realized he was cool. And uh, I'd love the world to hear from my sister about our childhood. I'd, I'd, we've talked about Greg being a different person and different people at different times in his lives and having kind of different qualities. And it was, it was fun to hear about him as a child. Um, I'm sure it, it would, you all would be interested to know about him as an elder. You know, there are these times in which... Uh, Greg would come up and come in my office and be so passionate about the gospel. And he would bring, he brought the whole session a book about evangelism. He, he just, he said, Tyson, we, we've got to be sharing the gospel with people. There, there's, there's two last things that, uh, that we need to do in our time together today. First, uh, uh, the family has asked me to read a poem. And then I'm going to deliver to you a benediction or a blessing. Um, Let's start with that poem, and then we'll get to that benediction. The poem's called, He is Gone. It's by David Harkins. You can shed tears that he is gone, or you can smile because he has lived. You can close your eyes and pray that he will come back, or you can open your eyes and see all that he has left. Your heart can be empty because you can't see him. Or you can be full of the love that you shared. You can turn your back on tomorrow and live yesterday. Or you can be happy for tomorrow because of yesterday. You can remember him and only that he is gone. Or you can cherish his memory and let it live on. You can cry and close your mind. Be empty and turn your back. Or you can do what he would want. Smile, open your eyes, love, and go on. I think that that is quite a word to the family, quite a word to those of us who loved him. Now let's move to the benediction. Months ago, uh, in the midst of the shutdown, we didn't know a lot about the virus. It was maybe when we were the most scared. We, we were told to not leave our homes for, for two or three weeks. The government, the president had a, like a two weeks to 15 days thing. And I remember being in my office and um, doing some work there. I have a little back door. No one else can get in but me. It's kind of just a little, little quiet place to be in. So I didn't wear masks. And, and we weren't even wearing masks back then, for the record. Um, and I see through the window of the church, Greg pull up. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, he really shouldn't be out. And my, yeah, I remember thinking, I remember thinking like, if anyone's got a pre-existing condition, it's, it's Greg. And, and having to go through this logic, well, um, what's he going to do? Sit at home for the next six months? Tomorrow is not guaranteed to Greg. And so I kind of think like him. It's like, I, I would have gotten out too. And, uh, and, and Jim was in his office, and Greg comes in, and he sits in my office, and Jim comes over, and, and the three of us are there, and um, we're talking about life and cancer and our families, and it was a delightful conversation. And 
you got to, at this time, I was trying to figure out how to communicate with the church and let everybody see each other and talk to each other. And um, I asked Greg if, if I could take my phone out and I, if I could videotape him say a message to the church. And, and he did. And he recorded a one-minute video. And I knew the minute I recorded it, that it would be appropriate for today. Um, I knew that. I mean, I knew what the eventual end to his diagnosis was. And I recognized at that very moment that he recorded that video for the church that Elder Greg had just given a benediction. And so I want you to watch the benediction of Greg today. Well, good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, as the case might be. Um, I'm missing you something shocking. And, uh, I mean, I don't really suffer from loneliness as a general rule, but I'm sure I'm missing my church family. And uh, I'm here in the office with the two reverends this morning, and it's a blessing to be able to share time with them. And, uh, and I pray that this will not last too long and that fairly soon we'll be able to be together, to, to pray together, to worship together, and more than anything else, to sing together. I really miss singing in the choir. That's such a blessing to me. Well, God bless you all, and I love you, and I know you love me because you're praying for me all the time, and I thank you so much. God bless you. Greg's benediction was this. I pray that this will not last too long and that fairly soon we'll be able to be together, to pray together, to worship together, and more than anything else, to sing together. You know, it won't be that long. It won't. Till we are all together in the resurrection. What a great picture. All the pain and the suffering of, of this world and all the stings of death will fade. And we will be together with our Savior along with Greg and all the saints to pray and worship. And more than anything else, to sing together before our God. Go now in the sure and certain promise of the resurrection to eternal life. And as you go, take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Will you stand, please, as the family exits?